What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Find Your Force Project. I'm Dr. Alex Brewer. I'm your host and the founder of Sanctus Nutrition. Our goal here with the podcast, as with everything we do at Sanctus Nutrition, is to get you looking, feeling, and performing your best. This week's episode I'm pretty excited about. It's a fellow pharmacist colleague of mine, Dr. Antonio Booker. So Dr. Booker is a pharmacy manager by day and a kick-ass Olympic lifter by night. He was an all-district running and defensive back at Louisville Mail High School, an all-state track athlete as well, and played college football at Thomas More College in Kentucky. Dr. Booker was introduced to CrossFit after graduating college and began competing while training at CrossFit Maximus in Lexington, Kentucky, while he was studying at the University of Kentucky College of Pharmacy, which is actually where we met. Dr. Booker qualified for his first Olympic lifting meet in 2017 and has been a full-time Olympic lifter ever since. I got to see him compete at the Arnold Expo 2018, which was my first Olympic lifting competition I've ever seen, and it was incredible. It was a great experience. I really don't have a big understanding of the Olympic lifts, which is kind of what led me to want to have Dr. Booker on the podcast, so... We dive deep into CrossFit, into Olympic lifting, how he manages to work 12-hour pharmacy shifts and still work out multiple times per week, his ambitions as far as opening his own gym, the vision he has for his training facility in the Louisville, Kentucky area. Lots of good stuff on this episode. So I'm going to shut up so you can listen to Dr. Booker speak. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Antonio Booker. One, Dr. Booker. Welcome to the podcast. How's it going, man? Going great. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Just relaxing on a Sunday before we start the week off again. Yes, sir. I am, I'm very excited to have you on. You and I have spoken frequently. We talk about nutrition, working out a lot. So I'm excited to get your knowledge out there to everyone watching and listening. I want to start off just a little intro and background on yourself. So ever since the time I've known you, well, you know, we met in pharmacy school. You've you've been a very athletic, very active person. Uh, was this yeah. always the case growing up? Yeah, uh, growing up, it was it was between two things. I, you know, kind of a nerd, but I always fell in love with sports too. So I was either reading books, doing homework, or football, baseball, basketball practice. Even though I sucked at basketball, I did it anyway. But uh, definitely, always did some type of athletics and. The rest of the time, you know, just doing some nerd stuff. So, so you, you played, you mentioned several sports. And I know you went on to play football in yeah. college. What, was high school football kind of your introduction to lifting? Uh, yeah, just like the traditional, you know, bench squat, curls, all that stuff, shoulder presses. Um, that's basically what we did at football. Um, we did do power cleans and stuff in high school. Um, got a little bit more advanced at college, um, actually having like a set plan, um, you know, especially during the summers, our coaches would send us home with a little booklet, giving us things to do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you know, just to get, keep our strength up during the year or during the summer before we came back for, you know, summer conditioning and camp. Are there some of those training principles you still use today? Uh, yeah, for the most part, like I said, bench squat, you know, that'll never go away, deadlift, stuff like that. And then um, I did get reintroduced to the clean in college, um, which is, you know, very good for explosion and, you know, building a good strength of base of strength. And then um, that took, you know, that was a little bit more advanced, which, you know, because our coaches actually were able to teach us when I got to college, the semi-proper technique, I guess. Would you say that uh, you got into the Olympic lifting and especially competing, which we're going to, we're going to dive deep on here in a bit, but it would part of that come from missing the competition you had in football? Uh, yeah, the missing the competition in football, that that's what led me to CrossFit. Uh, I graduated college in 2013 and one of my teammates opened up a CrossFit gym called CrossFit the tracks up in Northern Kentucky. Um, he brought me in for a workout and I've never been through a workout that I couldn't finish. Um, even through all the years of college sports, track, football, everything, it sucked, but I'd always get through it. And I did my first CrossFit workout, came in dead last, and 
<laughs> behind people that, you know, like on the eye test, you know, I look more athletic then. And it was a very humbling experience because, you know, you come in fresh off football, this giant head, giant ego, you know, I'm all conference this, all conference that. And I go to CrossFit, get my ass handed to me by some 55-year-old man. And um, <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely a humbling experience. So uh, that's where I got introduced to Olympic lifting, did CrossFit full-time for about four years. And then I just switched to Olympic lifting last spring uh, full-time. So I mean, you do CrossFit competitions like locally and, you know, just that kind of let that same competition, I guess, itch or urge led to me doing Olympic lifting competitions as well. What are your current PRs on, I want to ask about a couple lifts, but you can also throw in different ones you want. So back squat. Back squat, I just PR like a month ago, uh, did 185 kilos, excuse me, which, which is roughly about 407 pounds. Um, and right now, and I sit in between like 84 and 86 kilo body weight. So roughly 100 kilos over my body weight. What about front squat? You have one of the stronger front squats I've seen. Yeah, uh, front squat is, I actually don't have a true one rep max. My, I've done a two rep max at 139, 139 kilos, which is uh, like 310 pounds maybe. I can do some quick math. 306, sorry. Um, but at the Arnold, I clean and jerked 132. So my coach now has me working off 145 because he says, like, there's no reason your clean and jerk and front squat should only be seven kilos off. So we bumped my front <laughs> squat a little bit. I actually but, don't know my true one rep for my front squat. Between back and front squat, do you have a preference? Uh, I would say, like, I feel obviously your back squat is higher and stronger. Um, you know, you get that more like savage mode, if you will. Um, front squats actually really technical. Um, you know, you got to do a lot of things right. But uh, the thing I like about the front squat the most is that it's always going to be there. Like, even if you don't have the legs that day, you can still get away with it and get your front squats done. But, you know, back squats, especially the higher your numbers get, if you're not you know, if you didn't eat right the night before and get proper nutrition, enough sleep, you're not hydrated, you know, you, you'll have trouble back squatting 75%. Um, so on a day-to-day, -day, front squats typically go better for me, but I just, I'm more comfortable with the back squat because I've done it since I've been in sport, so. What about deadlift? Uh, I actually haven't deadlifted in a super long time uh, since I quit doing CrossFit. So before that, my best deadlift was 455 pounds. Um, but in Olympic lifting, you're only going to deadlift as much as you clean. Um, so, you know, we'll do clean deadlifts and snatch deadlifts, you know, like at 110%. So add 10, 15 kilos on, but you know, there's really no reason to train to, for me to deadlift 200 kilos if I'm never going to clean 200 kilos. So you know, because then your bar throws your bar path off and everything, you know, struggling to get a max deadlift doesn't really equate to your proper bar path for Olympic lifting. Are you still bench pressing? Uh, more dumbbell now. Um, dumbbell. Yeah, I do a lot of it. Not a lot. Like once or twice a week, I'll go do accessory work uh, at LAC, um, you know, just because Olympic lifting is all legs. Mm -hmm. um, so once I stopped doing CrossFit, I came in Olympic lifting and I started to lose a little bit of, you know, upper body mass. Um, so I started adding in, you know, some arm circuits and stuff. Um, so I do dumbbell bench. Um, but before that I was up to 275, 275 pounds on the bench press. You mentioned clean and jerk. What about snatch? Uh, right now I'm at 102, 102 kilos, which is 224 pounds. Um, but at the Arnold, I hit 100 kilos relatively easy. Um, I was having a really good day. So, um, you know, I'm thinking I might be like 105, 106, but obviously I have to do the number first. But Yeah, and we will, for everyone watching and listening, we will link to Antonio's Instagram at the end of this. But if you'd like to watch those videos, I was there. Uh, it was <laughs> awesome. first competition for, Olymp for Olympic lifting I've ever watched, and it was it was awesome to watch man you you killed it um he had a lot of fun cheering you on and yeah, it's definitely you awesome. to throw that up 
do what? I said we we could just tell you were you were pumped. Oh yeah. When you got that up there. Oh yeah, that was that that one thirty two was um not only it was a two kilo lifetime PR, which is very rare to do at a competition, but a seven kilo competition PR. So you know, just kind of all those five a.m. workouts kind of all just hit me that I it actually <laughs> paid off. So it was definitely a relieving <laughs> feeling. So you mentioned a little bit about what your current routine looks like uh can you give us some details on on your current training yeah so uh it depends on my work day um <clears throat> at work i do a two-week oscillation schedule so you know i work 12-hour shifts so i do a monday tuesday then i'm off two days and i work the weekend and then i just work like wednesday thursday the next week so um the days that i tr- train and work um get up about 5 15 get to the gym around six o'clock, train from six to eight, then I'm at work nine to nine. Um, the days that I'm off of work, I sleep in. So, you know, get up around like nine o'clock maybe. I always try to make myself stay in bed until nine, even if I'm not sleeping, just to, you know, kind of rest and recover as much as possible. And then it's, you know, I'll kind of get to the gym, still train for about two, two and a half hours, and then, you know, enjoy the rest of the day. What are your two two and a half hour sessions look like uh depends on the time of the year and if there's like if i'm in meat what we call a meat prep mm-hmm. um so right now and it's a lot of complexes so you know i'm doing like snatch deadlifts with some snatches and some presses um cleans and a front squats different things like that so uh like the current cycle that i'm on it's an endurance cycle just to try to you know build muscular endurance at this point so i'm training the snatch and a clean and jerk on the same day um just about every day uh and then so we'll do some snatch work usually one to two different types um some cleans and then i'll go into some squats and then two days a week we do accessory like core accessory so i'm doing like good mornings to strengthen my posterior chain hyper extensions for the back um GHD setup, whatever it might be, just to, you know, basically give me a well-rounded core. Because um, you do use your core a lot in Olympic lifting, but it's still good to train other ways. Um, so typically about four to five movements. Um, right now we're like in an endurance of volume cycle. But like later in the year, um, <clears throat> we work on what we call um, macro cycles. So typically each macro cycle is about 12 weeks. Um, and then you have four mesocycles, which are typically three to four weeks with a DLO week in there. Um, so like at the end of that 12 weeks is where you want to accomplish the goal that you set out, you know, from the beginning while things change every three to four weeks, you know, you might change, like increase numbers for three weeks, then a deload and kind of get back on track, stuff like that. Um, so if I'm in a meet prep, like uh, say if I'm going to compete this September, I'll start the meet prep around like July-ish. And then we'll start to go down on the reps and it's more just single lifts, just hit snatches, hit a clean and jerk, no complexes really. Just try to, you know, hone in on the technique. Gotcha. So the, the weeks leading up to a competition, you say you're more focused on, on the technique versus adding, right. adding weight at that point? Yeah, right now, uh, obviously we still work on technique every day. Uh, for safety and efficiency. But right now, you know, we're doing a lot of complexes. So um, like, for example, the other day, we had to do two deadlifts and a two cleans and then two front squats. So after my third set of that technique kind of goes out the window and you just close <laughs> your eyes and try to get it done. Um, but we won't do any complexes like that, like a month before competition. We're just doing single rep clean and jerks and single rep snatches just to, you know, you know, get sharper and faster. Right, right. With um, so at that eight to twelve week point before a competition, do you have the numbers you want to hit already planned? Yeah. Um, it mainly go. It mainly depends on how your your training has been going. Um. So my my goal personally is to increase my competition total about two kilos and each lift about one kilo that's just 
that's just for me a, a good mental way to stay on track and mm-hmm. kind of like you know have a goal in mind to kind of you know prep yourself for it um but you know if a month before i haven't hit any number like any good numbers and everything just feels like crap and the day of it still feels like crap we might just say hey and let's just try to get six good lifts and hit whatever we can hit um so typically my coaches on my snatch will jump me about seven kilos total from my first lift through like from my first lift through my third. Um, and clean and jerk is typically 10, but that's how the other competitions went. But at the Arnold, I had a really, really good day. End up jumping from, I think I started at 91 kilos and finished at hundred on my snatch. And then I was supposed to open at 116 on my clean and jerk, but we bumped my opener to 121 because everything just felt great. I went from 121 to 127 to get a competition PR and then went on 132 for a lifetime PR. So, you know, I still only jumped 10 kilos, but from my plan, I actually jumped like 16. So looking back at the Arnold and looking at your training before then can you can you point to anything in particular that you believe led to you having such a good competition to where you were able to jump your weights so much higher than you planned um yeah definitely just actually having a really good planned out um i guess just uh like a really good plan with my coaches Mm -hmm. um and my programming is just honestly just been really spot on in terms of like when I first transitioned to Olympic lifting from CrossFit, I was just doing things online. It was like generic programming, not tailored for me. Um, the intensity was really high. So every day it was like 90%, but the reps were always really low. And I thought that was what Olympic lifting is all about. But uh, last fall, I transitioned with my new coaches at White Buffalo Barbell. Um, and, you know, they actually had me a legit program and, you know, increasing the numbers safely and, while you know it kind of sucks sometimes because you're feeling really good but you can only hit 78 or 80 percent and you're like oh no if i try to hit a pr i'd get it but you know you got to prime your central nervous system for these lifts so um the timing of everything just worked out really really well you know i came off my deload uh and off my uh taper for the meet and it all just lined up perfectly and you know my nervous system was ready for some big lifts and we got it done you definitely got it done. Um, do they, is this, is this plan almost in like a reverse manner? So you, you set your goal and then you look at, you know, the week before and then you plan almost in reverse. Uh, it depends. I don't know exactly how my coaches do it, but that's typically how I do it when I program for my athletes. Mm-hmm. So, um, when I do my 12 week cycle, um, you know, I kind of have a goal in mind that, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to give them a, chance to I call it heavy single I don't say one rep max because some athletes kind of psych themselves out so I'll just tell them you know go ahead a heavy single snatch and a heavy single clean and jerk so then I like to increase the percentage percentage of each reps like the max percentage about two to three percent points each week so the week leading up like before that one rep max if it's going to be that Saturday the Saturday before I'll have them hit about 95 96 and then the weeks before that, two weeks before that is around 91, 92. And, you know, you just keep kind of backtracking for the full 12 weeks. But then, like I said, you throw a deload week on your every fourth week to kind of have them reset because um, without those deload weeks, you'll definitely run yourself into the ground. After a competition, do you do a, a deload week or do you do a complete week off? Or what, what does that time frame look like before you start gearing up again? That's a, it's a full week off, um, especially for a meet where you taper for. So when we taper, you know, we get really, really heavy um, two weeks leading up to the competition. So um, the Arnold was the first weekend of March. So about the second week of February, I actually attempted PRs on both my lifts. But even the weeks before that, all our training was at 90, 92, 95% you know, only hitting six, seven, 10 reps at each lift for that day. But, you know, everything was really heavy and about moderate back squats and front squats. Um, so if you taper for a meet, you know, you get 
basically almost a month or three weeks of, you know, prime numbers, everything above 90%. And you kind of take three days, you know, so then like the Monday I was hitting like 85, Tuesday it was 80, Wednesday it was like 75. Then the day before the Arnold, I just moved around a little bit at 70%. And then, you know, you go out there and, you know, give it all you got. So um, after that, you know, your nervous system is just completely taxed. Even if you wanted to get out of bed and do anything, you know, you're not, you got to, you got to give yourself a break and let all your joints and everything heal because, you know, you get six, you're getting six max effort lifts. So you definitely want to give yourself proper time to heal. Speaking of recovery, do you do any sort of active recovery techniques like foam rolling, stretching, that kind of work? Uh, I'll foam roll if I'm like, if something's really tight, but for the most part, I just, on my off day, some work, I'll do a uh, Ramart, which is uh, like a yoga. Uh, he's real involved in CrossFit. That's how I came across it. Um, so I still do Ramart about two to three days a week. From Kelly Starrett, right? I believe it's his name, yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm familiar with that. And we will provide links to everything that Antonio mentions, as well as links to some video instruction for the movements discussed. Do you do, you do any cardio along the way? How does that programming look? <laughs> uh, most weightlifters don't do cardio. Um, that was the <laughs> biggest difference for me coming from CrossFit to Olympic lifting um, was that there's, there's just zero unless you want to, you know, once you get high reps into your back squats, like sixes and eights, you definitely get short of breath. Um, when I'm not prepping for a meet, so about two, I would say any within two months, sometimes even three months of a competition, um, I won't do any cardio. Like, so right now, um, if I have a day that's relatively light, you know, just power lifts, no squats, nothing super heavy, I'll go do a CrossFit Metcon just to kind of, you know, honestly, just to move and breathe heavy, um, burn a few extra calories, um, you know, because while I don't like cardio, I do like, I do like what it does for my body. So about once or twice a week, I'll try to, um, right now. And I, I'm typically probably like once every two weeks, honestly, just because with my schedule and then with how intense our training has been right now, um, I just don't have the energy to go do a Metcon. I love that a, uh, supposed light day for you is going and doing a CrossFit workout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you, uh, your coaches program your nutrition along the way? Because I know with Olympic lifting, you're also in a certain weight class. So you also have to not only hit these huge lifts, but you also have to make sure that your you know, nutrition <laughs> is... I think a lot of people have this impression of... I think this may apply more to powerlifting, but I think there's also this stereotype in Olympic lifting that you just eat whatever you want to get as big as possible so you can get as strong as possible. And that's, yeah, I believe to be the opposite case. And I think you can speak more on that. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, definitely mass moves mass, you know, that's the ultimate goal. Um, but it's a lot different than, you know, kind of the, um, the LAC motto where I'm just going to get as big as possible to lift the most weight. Um, because like you said, we do have weight classes. So I'm in the 85 kilogram weight class. Um, so you still have to eat. What I'm figuring out now is how to eat right to like, you know, look good and feel good, but also eat right to feel my body. Because when I was in CrossFit, I was doing so much cardio that I honestly could eat whatever I wanted. You know, I still had abs and everything and the whole nine. Um, but after a year of Olympic lifting, you know, I kind of had to <laughs> reel in my diet because, you know, I, got on the scale and I was like oh and I looked in the mirror and I was like that's not me <laughs> um you know you're not like I said my legs and everything grew and I got a lot stronger but um you definitely lose your shape um so right now like I'm I'm still working on it my, my fiance is too like we're just focusing on eating the right things to not not only like help with recovery but you know proper fuel because you don't really realize when the older you get the more important food is for if you want to stay active. Um, you know, I'm not 21 and in college anymore and can go eat Taco Bell and go do two days of football and be perfectly fine. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so like I don't, I don't, I don't eat not to get big, but that's also not my goal. Um, it definitely behooves you to stay at the top of your weight class. 
um, like I said, because mass moves mass. So when I first started Olympic lifting, I was about 81 kilos. Um, and now I'm roughly four and a half kilos heavier. But I'm, I've added on like 20 kilos to my total. So that comes a little bit in part the mass, but also me getting stronger as a person or as an, as an athlete. So um, it's, you got to find the balance. Um, you know, if I sit at 86 kilos, you know, after watching yourself for a day and, you know, getting some techniques done, a drop a kilo overnight, it's not really that bad for competition. So I can make weight. Do you, do you count your macros and calories at all? I do not. Uh, my fiance does, but since, Obviously, we live together. We're always together. Um, I kind of count by default. Um, but I just started paying. I just started paying more attention to what I'm eating, making sure uh, the thing. I, only thing I do look for is the fat content. Um, besides that, I don't count carbs. I don't count protein because uh, I already I know just from having such a long knowledge of athletics and stuff. I kind of already know what's in there. Um, so, like I said, but if I'm out somewhere and I'm picking something up. I always I do check the fat content. Um, I like to make sure that everything that I eat is less than like 10% of my daily fat because you're already going to get about 50 to 60 from the food you eat, especially if you eat any type of meat, whether that's chicken. I mean, they're already lean meats, but they still have some fat content. Mm -hmm. You got to think about, you know, the things that you put on it. If you're going to cook anything with avocado, while that's a good fat, it's still fat. Um, so, you know, you definitely it might not seem like a big idea to, you know, get a bag of chocolate covered almonds, but they have 25% fat. That one thing a day can blow your fat content way out of the water and, you know, you're starving yourself of things that it needs. You mentioned working 12 hour shifts. Mm -hmm. What does your typical food intake look like on those days? I think that a lot of people tend to use their job or, you know, schedule as an excuse to let their nutrition slide? How do you prevent that from happening? Uh, well, I'm fortunate. I have a friend, her name's Amber Pepper. She uh, owns Prepping with Pepper's, Prepping with Pepper's Meal Prep Company. Um, it's a mouthful. Um, <laughs> but she does, uh, she, her kitchen's out in J-Town. She does two pickups in J-Town and then in the south end of Louisville, um, right there at, uh, off the Greenbelt. Um, I can't remember the name of the CrossFit gym she's at now. Um, but yeah, she does, uh, she does her own meal prep and meals are very affordable. She does two styles. One's just a regular meal. One's called a power meal, which has about 200 more calories. Uh, you know, I think she bumps up the protein and the carbs, um, about 30%. So typically what you're going to eat, you know, like right after you work out, but, uh, just because of work, I'm kind of forced to do intermittent fasting. Um, I did my research on it and it kind of, you know, it made sense keeping your insulin low in the morning, um, kind of eat away at your fat, your stored fats, and then, you know, eat a bunch at night. Um, so I'll get a meal from, I'll get my meals from her on the days that I work. So I'll eat that around like three, maybe four o'clock, depending on how the work day goes. Cause while you like to think pharmacy is predictable, a lot of days are very unpredictable. <laughs> Um, so I don't get to eat around the lunchtime because, of course, that's when everyone's coming in to get scripts. So I try to s sneak in my first meal between, like, my lunch rush and then right before my evening rush gets there. Um, and then I'll eat another one of her meals when I get home, um, unless uh, Kelly was off that or got off early that day and then go to the gym and she's able to cook something. Um, but typically, since I, I work so late and if she goes to the gym, she doesn't get home till like, 8 o'clock anyway. Um, on my off days, um, we do almost a no carb dinner now. Um, so don't do keto. Um, it's not for me. I'm not going to bash anybody or keto or anybody that does it. Um, you know, it's a whole another hour podcast for another day. Um, we're going to discuss the keto diet, but I do a no carb dinner just because I get off at nine, get home at nine thirty, eat by the time I get ready for bed, get my stuff ready for the next day. It's already 11. I got to be back up at five. So, you know, you don't want to eat a ton of carbs right before bed because it just sits with you. So, you know, substitute rice and noodles for like, you know, vegetables. So I've been on Pinterest and use a bunch of squash and stuff instead of actually cooking with rice or noodles or pasta.
did you did you know Amber before she started the meal prep company or did you meet her through that? I was about simultaneous because um, we were working out of the same CrossFit gym originally um, okay. when I'm uh, when I moved back to Louisville for good from uh, Lexington once I graduated. Um, she started going to the gym that I was going to and then she had just started her meal prep company. Um, so um, I was like, sure, like she would bring samples to the gym. And I was like, okay, yeah, I mean, free food, I'll take it. And it was, <laughs> not only was it free food, but it was good food and it was good for you. So um, she definitely has my business as long as I'm in town. You thought the free food ended when you graduated and then <laughs> yeah, kept going. So it sounds like she specifically targets athletes with her meals. I think that's by default because um, in today's society for you to work and, t you know, take your health into your own hands, that pretty much takes up all your day. Um, and if you try to throw a family life on top of that, like, you know, the work-life balance nowadays is just, it's strenuous. So um, mainly athletes are the ones who kind of sacrifice that extra two hours a day of relaxation with, at the gym so that's less time to cook that's less time to be with your family so having something you can throw in the microwave in two minutes and eat is you know very crucial so uh, but I think she just pulls a lot of athletes because she's an athlete herself um, and like I said she started the CrossFit gym but I've been in her kitchen picking up my meals and there's people there who just you know go there to just to get the healthy meals because they don't know how to cook healthy for themselves but my mom eats them she's not she doesn't work out um, she just likes them and they're healthy. So my mom, even my mom eats them. What do what do those meals typically look like? Are there any samples that you can recall? Uh, I have some in the fridge if you want me to grab one. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. So uh, I love mobile technology. So <laughs> typically, like I'll just get a, I'll get like ten or twelve for the week. I don't think I can flip my camera. So like this one right here is a. Uh, a Derby Benedict. So it's uh, two egg whites, one whole egg, turkey bacon, and whatever the eggs Benedict is made of. I don't know the muffin. Um, but then like that one down there is like barbecue chicken, um, mm -hmm. broccoli, and uh, sweet potato. So she rotates the menu every week. So that kind of keeps it, you know, you're not getting tired and bored of it. But that's the cool part I like about it. Um, some of the other meal prep companies that I looked at, it's just the same 15 different or 20 meals every week. You just order the same thing. Uh, she gives you about four options, but like I said, she rotates it every week and she'll throw some stuff in here and there and kind of switch things up. So. Very cool. So transitioning a bit back into Olympic lifting. I know previously you had mentioned you're looking to break state records in your weight class. Yes. Um, what, what are those records? So right now, um, it's a big transition for Olympic lifting, too, um, because they're going to scrap the weight classes this summer. Um, so right now, for the 85-kilogram weight class, the snatch is 116 kilos, and the clean and jerk is 142. Um, so I would say I'm closer to the clean and jerk kilos, because our clean and jerk record is 10 kilos off. Um, but the IOC is really upset. The uh, Olympic committee is really upset with the sport of Olympic weightlifting because out of the I want to say like it was like 37 people in the last Olympics tested positive for PDs and 24 weightlifters um, and then like I think of those 24 like 11 were in the same weight class so they're basically just kind of scrap it they do this every time steroids gets bad and they scrap the weight classes and start fresh and wipe all the records clean so this summer in July, they're going to come out with new weight classes. So I guess technically I really won't have a record to break. I would have one to set because there won't be a state record for my weight class yet. But it would be around the same number for me to you know set it or hold it. Have you always had, I guess, that sort of mentality where you, you see a record or some sort of, I guess, lofty goal? And you go for it? Uh, kind of. It's it's come along more with uh, such a tangible sport like Olympic lifting because it's you know it's directly in your hands. Um, when I was playing football, like I never tried to break the interception record at cornerback because 
no matter how good I am, I can't make the quarterback throw my way. Uh, so I never really, I just had the goal of, you know, you're not going to catch the ball. That was always my goal. You know, you're not going to score a touchdown, whatever it might have been. I'm going to, I'm going to be better than you. You're going to know it. That was my mentality of football. Um, Cause you know, cornerback, you're in, you're in an isolated position. Um, so Olympic weightlifting, since the numbers are tangible, I can see them. I can see what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, at first I kind of started out was just like, I literally just got at, talked into doing it. One of my friends that I started the barbell club with, she was like, hey, I think you should try Olympic weightlifting. You're pretty decent at it during CrossFit. So I was like, sure, I'll try this competition. Sign up for my first competition and qualify for regionals. So I was like, okay. Um, you know, so I was like, I'll give it a shot full time. And, you know, now I'm 16 kilos from qualifying from the university nationals. It's under 28. I have to be in enrolled in a class i'll just join like university of phoenix or something um, <laughs> but uh as long as you're under 28 and enrolled in a class so like you know it's kind of it's progressing a lot faster than i thought it would um and i like olympic lifting because there's a lot of room to go up the ladder you know there's a lot more national stages um which is you know crossfit there was regionals in the games and everybody you know what i'm saying like I've never been the best cardio person, so that's why I was never really that great at CrossFit. I was decent. You know, I would lead a workout here and there in the gym, but never make it to regionals. But Olympic lifting, you throw the weight classes in there, which makes it somewhat fair. You know, um, it makes it more competitive for, you know, people your size, too. So um, definitely a lot stronger than I am at cardio. What were some of the biggest mistakes you made when you you were beginning that journey into olympic lifting um i, I kind of i was definitely like definitely the ego lifting um i had already had my um usaw certification at that point before i switched over because i was teaching olympic lifting at the crossfit gym that i was uh, working out at um so i thought i thought that i knew it all um i had my certification i was I thought I was good at it at the time. Uh, you know, people would try to give me pointers, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, I would listen to a few here and there, but I didn't think that I needed a coach. I was trying to coach myself, and no matter how much attention and detail you pay or how keen your eye is, you still can't point out things for your own sake. Because um, things might feel good that day, but there's some small thing that you're doing wrong that you might not catch when you rewatch your videos that, you know, somebody outside of you can see. So um, went to my first competition, went six for six, qualified for regionals, went to my second competition and bombed out. I was training by myself, you know, and everything felt like shit. So then I agreed to join on with my coaches now in a white buffalo barbell and the Laura uh, and Dan, um, they're both the nationals they're fighting to get on the usaw team to for the next worlds and olympics or the pan ams or whatever um and you know working with them has helped tremendously they know what they're doing they're really good out of detail and they work well as a team so um like checking that ego and realizing that not only do i not know it all i don't know anything <laughs> um <laughs> not only did they help me in olympic lifting but uh <laughs> helped me with my uh soon to be marriage too <laughs> Yeah, it's good when things like that have a crossover effect. Yeah, because, you know, so, it uh, helped a lot. You, a lot of people, whether it's in Olympic lifting or just going to the gym and lifting weights, you, you have that beginner phase where you can – maybe this doesn't apply to Olympic lifting, but you can, you know, literally almost do whatever you want and you're going to make progress. And then, then you plateau. So, especially for you with the weights you are lifting, which, you know, as you mentioned, you're going after some state records, looking to get on the national scene. What is it you do to start breaking through that plateau once you hit it? Sure. So that's where you're, uh, I'm not, I don't think I'm far enough into Olympic lifting yet to actually plateau. Um, because not only am I gaining a lot of strength because I'm not doing cardio, so you know, with CrossFit, you would do squats or clean and jerks or whatever, snatches, but then you go do cardio, you basically tear your muscles down even more. 
Um, so your muscles never got that chance to recover. Don't get me wrong. I got stronger during CrossFit. I was really strong during CrossFit, but I'm not, I wasn't maximizing my strength uh, capabilities, if you will. So I'm still growing like my legs. <laughs> they're just getting like bigger than I ever thought they would, but <laughs> I'm just still growing as an athlete. So I, I haven't hit my ceiling yet on how strong I'm going to get. And with that, my technique is still, I'm still, I've been with my coaches since September, I've been in Olympic lifting for a year and my technique's still changing. We're still trying to figure out like what's the best route for me technical wise. So um, I would say probably about another like six to eight months, maybe a year in, I'll start to hit some sort of plateau. But that's where those 12 week uh, macro cycles come into play is that you're always like changing things every three months. You know, if you're going to do complexes or you're not, you're, gonna do this type of back squat routine you know just kind of mixing it up every three to four months really prevents you from getting those but um you'll definitely plateau um but you know you just gotta keep pushing the envelope maybe change things up um you know you kind of you kind of get lazy on your routines whether that's eating or sleeping you know things just change daily so you mentioned your coaches are still working with you as far as finding the best technique for you what does that process look like so it, does this depend on for these lifts you, you know your, your is it dependent on your body type or just based on finding you know what what is it that helps them find the best technique for you compared to someone else in coach? it's definitely it can have a lot to do with your body type but also has to do with like your skill level and skill comprehension so uh you know, I'm, once I get my, once I get out of my own head and kind of put my ego aside, I'm a really good person to coach because I've been an athlete since I was six. So I already have good body mechanics and good body awareness. So where you can tell me to do something, it might only take me one or two times to start to pick up on what you mean, because I can picture what you mean. You know, I can picture in my head what you're trying to say, because I understand mm -hmm. body mechanics. Um, for one of the newer athletes, not only have they never Olympic lifted before, but they've never been an athlete before. Sometimes you might have to work a little bit more with them. So the pushing to the perfect technique might not be as much of a principle for them because, you know, they have a whole lot of other things they need to fix first. Um, so, you know, I had a really good showing at the Arnold um, and I didn't realize my technique wasn't that great, but after them working on it since, or since March, like, you know, technique just helps you improve your speed under the bar and instead of trying to like you know over pull and do all this stuff and get the bar really high off the ground it's going to get to a point where you can't pull big weight that high off the ground so if I'm trying to snatch 120 kilos I'm going to have to get fast under the bar which comes from improving my technique so that's why we're changing it because like strength wise we know I can get there mm -hmm. but now I just have to get faster so we're doing things to fix my technique to allow me to get under the bar faster. Makes sense. How many types of changes do they typically attempt with you at a time? Uh, it just depends. Um, when I first started with them, we changed my grip. So they let me get um, used to that for about a month. And then, you know, it was just, it's just one or two things here or there. Um, so right now, and it's, working on my original pull off the ground and from the knee to the hip and, you know, just literally just like, it's about three or four different things that we're working on at the same time to just get me under the bar faster. Um, so like with my athletes um, that I coach, it's typically one thing at a time, you know, I'll give you one cue and then I'll check in on it in a couple of days to see how it's working. But at the same time, when you send me your videos or if I'm watching you live person or in person, that's not the only thing that I'm looking for. I'm still making sure you're doing your basics right. So, you know, you're found like your four to five things we teach you in your very first Olympic lifting class. We're still checking on those because sometimes those do get lost once you start to, you know, become a more complex lifter. What does the qualifying process look like? So for, for someone who is looking to do their first competition, what is that process? So, yeah, if you just do a local competition, there is no qualification or anything like that. You just sign up and you just have to be a USAW member, um, United States of America weightlifting member. Um, but to go to 
uh, quote unquote, what we call regionals, which is the American Open Series. Um, we call it regionals because they do one in the three different like segments of the United States. There's one on the West Coast, one in the Midwest, and then one on the East Coast. So um, just different weight classes has uh, a different total that you have to hit. So for my 85 kilogram weight class, your total, which is the max clean and jerk and max snatch, has to be a 203 kilos or higher. Uh, for me to go to the university nationals, which is the under 28 that I was talking about, I have to hit a 248. So right now I'm at 232. Um, American Open Finals, which is like just a, another national lift, like a national stage up there with, you know, uh, obviously not as big as Worlds, but American Open Nationals and Nationals. And um, it's probably like the next step. And then you have Worlds, the Pan Ams, and then the Olympics. Um, so the Pan Am trials or Pan Am games are for North and South America. It's equivalent to like the European Championships, the Asian Championships, and the Commonwealth, which is Australia and New Zealand. So those have like obviously a lot higher totals, but um, you just have to hit those at a USAW sanctioned event to be able to qualify to go to those. Okay, that makes sense. What would you say is the biggest roadblock you've hit so far, or the biggest you know obstacle you've had to overcome in your Olympic lifting journey, and what did you do to overcome it? Um, it's basically just life, you know. Uh, when I first started Olympic lifting, I hadn't graduated school yet. So I would wake up at eight, study for my exams to become a licensed pharmacist. And then I'd have all day. So I'd go to the gym for two, three hours and honestly do whatever the hell I wanted. Um, but then July hit, I got my license and, you know, hey, you got to work 12 hour shifts. So um, it was just, you just got to mentally, you got to mentally be tough. And, you know, you got to, you're going to set a goal and, you got to stick to your schedule and stick to your plan. Um, you know, it's like some days it really sucks waking. Like I do not roll out of bed at 515 and just willy-nilly ready to, ready to go. <laughs> um, trying to back squat 160 kilos at 7 in the morning is not a fun thing to do. Like, I don't like doing it, but I know what my end game is. I know what my end goal is. Um, so just mentally being there, like mentally being ready for it. Um, also having a really good support system has helped me overcome it too, because, um, you know, not just supporters and people cheering me on in the stands, but like my fiance, like, you know, if she knows I'm going to be having a 14 hour day, she kind of takes care of things at the house, but on my off days, I'll do, you know, I'll take care of the house and, you know, it's a little, it's a lot, I won't say a little, it's a lot easier right now because, you know, we don't have kids or anything. So we just got to take care of Molly, which is our, which is our dog. <laughs> Everyone got to meet Marley a couple minutes ago. Yeah. I, I can, I can, I can vouch for, for Kelly. We were sitting with her in the stands while you were competing and a, she was very helpful <laughs> for Carrie and I who had never been to a competition before, but also I could, I could tell even from the stands, just watching you, she could, she knew you were having a good night and she knew your yeah. numbers and whenever your numbers came up on the screen, she was like, that's a PR for him. Like, he, yeah, yeah, I can tell he's feeling great tonight. So yeah. she's amazing person. Um, I can tell she helps you out a ton. Yeah, she does. And she's a physical therapist. So that helps me <laughs> a lot when things go wrong. Um, body wise, like I feel bad because some days she'll just, you know, I'll be off. I'll just have a heavy day but she'll come home from like a nine hour shift. And I'm like, Hey, I know you just got off work and you feel like shit, but uh, I need you to fix my hip. So <laughs> what are, what are some of the techniques for fixing your hip? Um, mainly my biggest issue, even though I work on it two to three times a week, is just my flexibility. Um, my hamstrings are fine. Like everything's fine, but my external hip roots or my external hip flexors, they will just never loosen up. So, uh, every now and then they'll just come back to bug me. So, you know, she's giving me different type of stretching techniques. Uh, there's a thing called scraping, which is where they take like this, like cocoa butter. And then they take like literally this hard plastic. I don't know. looks like a shark fin and they just scrape the, the muscle and it's supposed to get rid of all like the lactic acid buildup. And basically it's like 
just resetting the muscle. Um, I forgot that, that hurts. Um, <laughs> it feels good the next day, but it hurts. Uh, definitely can leave some bruises. Um, even if you break skin, you'll bleed a little. Um, but it's one of those, you know, some things. You just have to do it. I've been dry needle before. I was really skeptical going in. Um, I was terrified of dry needling. I got it on my forearm. Um, I had a, two muscles that would not release. Um, and it was actually causing a bunch of wrist pain while I was having like cut workouts shorter. Mm -hmm. part of my workouts because I couldn't go overhead. Um, but after I got a dry needle, uh, those muscles relaxed and it helped the tendons release in my wrist. So um, just stuff like that uh, and just different she's really good at like body mechanics and she can understand movement patterns. So if something's not right, she'll have me just walk or squat and can figure out what's going on. Like uh, two years ago, I was having real bad knee pain and then we, I thought it was tendonitis, but I ended up having like uh patella tracking issues. Mm. So she did this tape job, had me do it for four weeks and I haven't had the knee pain since. So what is dry, what is dry needling? So dry needle is very similar to acupuncture, um, but they don't like, I think acupuncture is more of a like Eastern medicine or Eastern technique, you know, working with the Zen of your body and finding pressure points and that whole thing. Dry needling is like, they do an evaluation and find out like what part of the muscle, like if it's tight, if it's causing pain and they take like these acupuncture style needles, very, very thin. And they literally just like dry needle and just go in through the skin and kind of massage the needle through the muscle. It sounds gross. Um, and even sometimes they'll hook like these minor electrodes up to it and send some electric currency through it to kind of relax the muscle. But it basically just resets the muscle. So like all the tightness and all the knots and all that stuff goes away. The downfall is that you completely reset the muscle. So you lose all that tension. So, you know, you might, it's almost like you're kind of sore the next day because like, you know, you have to, you need that, you need some type of muscular tension. Obviously that's the way muscles work. So once you get it completely relaxed, sometimes you just gotta take a day off to kind of let it tighten it back up a little bit to be functional. Obviously, you know, once it gets too tight, that's when you get the pains and the knots and stuff. Was, was Kelly the one to introduce you to that or do your coaches use it as well? Uh, no, my coaches don't. Uh, Kelly told me about it. Uh, she's going to get her certification. Uh, speaking of the devil, she's going to get her certification soon, but um, one of her friends is the one that did the jar uh, needling on me. Gotcha. Gotcha. And it, how often do you do that? Have you done it more than once? I've only done it once. Uh, I have a, one of my friends, she does like she goes in once a month. Um, to the physical therapy clinic and gets like an evaluation and then they'll decide um, you know what part or of the body she needs to dry needle on the most or if she even needs it that day um, and they'll you know kind of just go from there gotcha but definitely it helps with recovery and you know a bunch of stuff I I want to transition and talk about training clients and blackberry barbell so how did, how did you get started training people? Uh, I was doing CrossFit full time and I kind of wanted, um, I was approached by the lady that I started with, Catherine Zumbrunnen. She was like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a barbell club at the gym, you know, just to focus solely on Olympic lifting. And, um, you know, in CrossFit, you have your level one CrossFit certification, but she was like, you know, you'd have to have your um, USAW, your level one for to, that's focused on just the Olympic lifting. So um, I went and signed up for the weekend class. And then, you know, after you do the class, you study and you take a test. Um, basically, to just make sure you know what you're talking about at the most basic level. Um, so a lot of that helps a lot. That course obviously helped a lot. You know, it's still a lot you have to do on your own to just kind of get as much knowledge as possible. But um, that's how we got started with the Barbell Club. And we kind of had a big, uh, had a big, big interest right away. We had about like 10 people sign up immediately and we we're growing and growing um, before we parted ways with the gym we were at. So now we're just doing, it's remote at the moment where, you know, I'll come meet up with you. You can come to my house. I have a barbell set up in the garage. Um, or, you know, you send me videos from whatever gym you're at. 
Um, I'll Skype you, you I'll reply to your videos if you send them to my phone. Um, so that's kind of how we are at the moment with remote programming and everything online. How many people are you currently training? Uh, I want to say about 16, something like that. It fluctuates month to month. People take off because this and that and then get back on it. So what's the, what's the growth plan? Uh, at the moment, we're kind of just trying to sit tight um, until we, we, we have an idea of what we want. You know, we cat has always wanted to be a gym owner. So right now we're just kind of sitting tight doing remote programming until um, it makes sense to, you know, take that leap, um, I guess, fiscally and um, with the time, time issue as well. Um, so, you know, I, I knew her plans from the get go when she first asked me to join her Blackbird Barbell. Um, so I just told her I'm along for the ride and, you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But eventually she'd love to own her own gym and I'd be more than happy, you know, kind of be her VP and, you know, keep the barbell club running while she does everything else. So in between your own training, being a pharmacist, one would think you already had enough on your plate. How do you find the time in between just juggling everything to not only juggle that many different things on your plate, but also to do them all so well? Uh, it's, I guess it comes from just like, you know, never been satisfied with what you have. Um, you know, there's always like in the, like in the sport of Olympic weightlifting and, you know, just cause I had a good day at a competition, I'm not going to stop training because you always want to push the envelope and push the numbers and see how good you can actually be. Um, so the same thing, you know, goes for life. It's, you just want to keep pushing and pushing to, you know, um, there's a lot of success and there's a lot of things to gain out here. Um, so I just want to achieve as much as possible, leave a positive mark. Um, you know, that's one of my things is whoever comes across me, I want them to know, like, you know, at the end of the day, they would say, you know, he's a very like nice and genuine person. He tried to do a lot for people at least. Uh, in terms of how to achieve them well, it all goes back to what I said earlier about your support system. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate to have a fiance who's soon to be wife who, you know, allows me to have these 14 hour days, um, you know, because I already work 12 and some people, you know, would be very upset with me trying to work out with on top of that, um, who, you know, picks up the slack when I'm only having like, you know, a 20% good day. Um, and she also has to work and take care of things, but, um, it's, you know, having a family who also supports you as well. Um, my family travels to some of my competitions and, you know, my brother is the one that got me started in working out. So, you know, I kind of owe a lot to him too. Um, it just, it's, you know, take, like they said, it takes a village. So, um, while I'm, I guess you could say it all looks like I'm doing all the hard work, uh, there's a lot of people behind me that are, you know, pedaling the bikes to make the lights run. I'm just standing under the lights right now. How would you say that being a pharmacist and having that background influences your training and, you know, potentially the way you train people? Um, I guess it, it really helps me, um, I guess, having a, at least a basic understanding of the body. Um, while I don't, pharmacists aren't trained as, you know, as well as physical therapists and medical doctors and all this stuff to understand the body, you know, we still have some basic training. Uh, we definitely understand nutrition. So I'm able to give a lot of pointers there. Um, I would say a lot of my past experiences to help me train my athletes comes from me being an athlete. Um, in terms of being a pharmacist, like I said, we just understand, we really understand nutrition. We understand supplementation. Um, so I'm able to give a lot of pointers in terms of proper supplementation and proper nutrition and, you know, things like that. Uh, also, I guess just a, pharmacists have that OCD tendency um, just because, you know, we have to be the ones that catch all the errors. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we are the ones reviewing the medical charts. We're the run. We're basically putting all the pieces to the puzzle because you have 15 different doctors working on the same puzzle. So we're the one that has to make sure everything lines up. So um, that allows me to um, 
you know, have that keen eye, that close attention to detail for my athletes. Um, and then just the work of pharmacy is always balancing life. You know, you always have 15 tasks to do. Uh, so that kind of carries over into my personal life outside of pharmacy to be able to handle, you know, multiple tasks at once and still try to make everyone happy and, you know, satisfy everything. So. I like it. I want to be respectful of your time. I really appreciate you coming on. So I want to transition and kind of end on just some standard questions that don't necessarily relate to health and fitness, but just give us a little more insight into you and let us kind of have some fun with a few questions. So if you had to live anywhere in the world other than where you currently live, where would it be and why? Uh, I guess that's kind of a two part question. Uh, Anywhere in the United States would probably be Charlotte. Um, me and my fiance visited there. We absolutely fell in love with it. Either Charlotte or Savannah, we've been to both places. And I'm going to Charlotte for my bachelor party. She's in Savannah for her bachelorette party. Those are probably two of the most beautiful cities. Um, kind of a Louisville-like quality, um, but on a, I feel like on a more grandiose scale. Um, but outside of the United States, it would definitely be... Uh, I don't know. We've been in Mexico a couple of times. I just love the whole vibe and the whole culture. Um, you know, the Hispanic community is one to definitely treasure. Uh, and you can't beat the food. <laughs> that That is spot on. Yeah. What, what single book would you say has had the biggest impact on your life? Uh, it was one I read early on. It was called Monster. Um, we had a reader for school. And uh, I forget the author's name, but, you know, basically about like a young black kid growing up uh, in the inner city and just nothing goes, goes his way. Um, and I obviously can relate, you know, grew up in the West End of Louisville, um, single parent house home uh, or single parent household. My mom did a phenomenal job with me and my brother, um, you know, not trying to discredit that at all uh, absolutely love my mother to death but you know it was I know there's people out there had it way worse than I did but it was a pretty rough upbringing in terms of like trying to fight to get to where I'm at today um, whether that's the lack of educational support in the West End community um, not only from the surrounding people but the the city itself um, and just getting to this point, like I said, it all comes back to the support system because my family knew that, you know, me and my brother could do some pretty cool things and he's running his own business and, you know, buying real estate and doing that and supervise at Humana. And I just got started in my career. So, um, you know, that was, I kind of related a lot to that book to, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be bad, but a lot of people have it bad. So just got to get it done. Definitely going to Google and find the author and make sure we link to that. That way everyone can check it out. What innovation in human civilization would you say you're most looking forward to in your lifetime? Ah, uh, space travel. Like legit, <laughs> not to the moon. Dang. I want to, you know, you, you see all these things and you know there's stuff out there. And I, 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 my curiosity just wants me to know what's out there. Whether that's like another earth where everyone looks like you and it's, just like alternate universes or I just want to see what other living beings on other planets look like. Uh, very curious if we're just like this little brother planet that they're just watching like a big episode of TV on just making fun <laughs> of us. I have no idea, but I'm very curious to space travel. When that first flight to Mars becomes available, are you hopping on? No, I want further than that. There's nothing on Mars. I want different <laughs> galaxies, different solar systems. <laughs> Man, I, I relate to that a ton. I constantly think about stuff like that. Just how cool would it be just to like take off and go to like some distant galaxy and just see what the hell is there? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. What is one life-altering change that a person can make in 10 minutes a, a day that you would recommend? Um, I guess I feel like all, all things that you're going to, change in life have to start mentally um so just mentally be prepared that whatever you set to do in life or whatever goal you're going to set um it's not gonna it's not easy for anyone that's the thing i've always kept in the back of my mind it's 
you know, you can kind of get down on yourself and when things happen, why me, why me? But there's a lot of bad things happening to a lot of really good people. Um, so just mentally be prepared that it's going to rain and it's going to pour, but, you know, you just got to keep fighting and get through it. And I know that's easier said than done because um, I wouldn't have made it to any success that I've had in life, no matter what that, that, that was graduating high school, college, being on state, being on conference, getting away into it, you know, the everything in my life I've owed to the support of other people. Um, you know, I still have to do the work, but it, you, I haven't done any of this on my own. Um, so, but just being mentally prepared that some nights you're going to feel alone and, but you just got to keep driving through it and pushing through it. Um, whatever that, whatever you want to do in life, you just got to mentally be prepared that it's going to suck, but you got to get through the suck. I think that's very good advice to end on. Antonio, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on, speak with us. You are a very knowledgeable, very humble, very, very strong individual. Um, where can people find out more about you and more about Blackbird, Barbell, and your training? Definitely. I appreciate you having me on. But uh, my Instagram is Booker0135. Um, there you'll find, uh, you know, a lot of my day-to-day -day lifting. I like to post to kind of keep everybody up to date on, you know, how my training is going. Um, you'll find videos of my competitions and you also find lots of pictures of my beautiful wife-to-be and our dog. Um, Blackbird Barbell, it's just at on Instagram as well, at Blackbird Barbell. We also have a Facebook page and a website that we're currently working on. Um, once we get solidified with our location, we'll have a more you know, so solid address or website. Um, but that's a good way to contact us on Facebook, Instagram, if you're interested in um, joining us. And like I said, we do remote programming, whether it's live video or face-to-face. -face, uh, I'll, I'll always meet with my clients for personal sessions. Love it. I will have links to all of those in the show notes. Tony, again, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it, man. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. You have a good one. You too. Take care.